Welcome to the Global Missions, Inc. podcast. This episode features David Luff as he speaks about truth. If you'd like more information about the moving of God's spirit or resources for your spiritual life, email us at info at globalmissionsinc.org. The first thing we want to do is to talk about truth as a person. John chapter 18 verses 37 through the first half of verse 38 says, this of course is when uh, when Jesus was being interrogated by Pilate during his trial. And I'm going to read this from the J.B. Phillips New Testament translation. And so Pilate said, so you are a king, are you? Returned Pilate. Indeed, I am a king, Jesus replied. The reason for my birth and the reason for my coming into the world is to witness or give evidence, if you will, to the truth. Every man who loves truth recognizes my voice. Winston Churchill once stated, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had ever happened. In this case, Pilate had stumbled on truth with a capital T in the most profound way possible and never realized it. He picked himself up and hurried off as if nothing had ever happened. There are a number of instances in the scripture where Jesus gave the reasons for his coming. He said, I have come that you might have life. Uh, I have come that you might have have life abundantly. Uh, I have come to save uh, those that are lost. And there are many other statements that he said about himself and the reason why that he came. However, he states this reason more explicitly than all the rest. And I think that we will see as we proceed this evening that all the other reasons for which he came are rooted in this overarching reason. If you were to look up the word truth uh, in the Greek, it's, uh, it's pronounced aletheia or aletheia. And it It means truth, but not merely just spoken truth, although that is included, but it's truth as an idea or reality or sincerity, truth in the moral sphere. And the one I liked the best was divine truth revealed to man. As children of God, we realize that truth is not something we can find within ourselves. Our natural minds are enemies of God. They must be transformed through renewal. And truth must be derived from a source and a standard completely outside of ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 
followed by verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10, and verse 14. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I came across a quote the other day that I thought was a good paraphrase of how the things of the spirit of God are foolishness to men who possess only the natural mind. It was by Otto von Bismarck, the first chancellor of United Germany in the late 1800s. And he said, if you want to fool the world, tell them the truth. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus claims to be not only the truth, but also the way and the life. The term I am in the Greek is used in this case and all other places where it exists in the New Testament to denote a timeless existence, a no beginning and a no end. And to us as human beings, we would describe Jesus as being uh, he was, he is, and he is to come. But for Jesus, speaking of himself, Time is is not a factor to him or to the Father. And so it is just, I am. He just exists. He always has existed. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. John 8 and 58. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When Jesus says, I am the truth, he is saying much more to us than I just speak the truth or my actions bear witness to the truth, though both both of these things are true. Let me see if I can explain. In the 17th chapter of John, verse 3, it says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In this passage, the Greek word for know is genosko. It means to know, especially through personal experience, first-hand acquaintance. It implies that there is a relationship between the one who knows and the one being known. A paraphrase of that verse might read something like this. And this is eternal life, that they may come to know the real you through a firsthand personal relationship with you and with me. Just having an intellectual knowledge about Jesus does not cause us to know truth, at least not the way God really wants us to know it. All truth emanates from the person of Jesus. 
To know truth, we must have a personal relationship with Christ, who is himself truth. Well, how is this accomplished? Well, we'll talk a little bit now about the role of the Holy Spirit in knowing the truth. John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15 says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. To guide means to lead on one's way. It denotes a process. When we seek to know truth, we must call upon the Holy Spirit to lead us into it to reveal it to us, not just reveal facts to us, but reveal the person behind the facts, God himself. Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. There were a couple of more characters in the Bible who had special experiences about coming to know God in this way. Let's take a look at Job's experience with the truth. We'll read from Job chapter 42, verses 3 through 6. And you ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job confessed confessed that he had uttered things that were factually true without really knowing and seeing with spiritual eyes the one who had authored those facts, the wonders of which he did not understand until he had truly seen the author through revelation. Isaiah had a similar experience, as recorded in the sixth chapter of Isaiah. It would even seem that this experience took place at what we might call his ordination or commissioning. Obviously, he had found favor in the eyes of God. However, God must have known that he needed something more before he began his ministry. He needed to see the Lord in a depth that he had not seen him before. He, like us, needed to see the truth as a person. 
This is what Isaiah said after having this experience. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In Jesus' in Jesus' prayer for his disciples and for us, recorded in John chapter 17 and verse 17, he prayed, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John had already told us in the first chapter of his gospel, verses 1 through 2 and 14, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. As Christians, we need to know correct facts and teach correct doctrine. But most importantly, we must behold the Christ, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that requires revelation. We will never arrive at the truth through our own human reasoning. I'm not saying that we cannot have any understanding of truth intellectually. Obviously, we can, but only to a certain extent. Our natural mind can only take us so far. Fullness of truth can only come through the revelation of Christ by the Holy Spirit, followed by an ongoing intimate and personal relationship with Christ. God does not just decide what is true and then tells us what it is. He is himself truth. Unlike us, he never has to think before he speaks to make sure he is speaking the truth. He cannot but speak the truth because he is the personification and the embodiment of truth. Note how this is borne out in the following scriptures. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John is saying that God is perfect truth. There is absolutely no error in him. And then from James 1, verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James is saying that God cannot but give us that which is perfectly good. His truth never changes because he himself never changes. And finally, in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Paul is saying to Titus that God cannot lie 
because that would be counter to his very nature, which is absolute truth. Something is not true because it is in the Bible. It is in the Bible because it is true and always has been true. It was true before a single word of scripture was penned. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and this I'll read from the, the uh, NIV. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's an interesting way the, the translator has put it there. It says that God breathed this. It, it is coming from the very personhood of God, coming, coming right out of his heart as he speaks these words and inspires the writers of the scripture. It just comes from him uh, naturally, I guess, for lack of a better word. It just flowed from him to them as they wrote the scriptures. And these things were true from the very beginning. They have always been true. They're not, it wasn't, they didn't just come to be true uh, when, the, when the Bible was written. They, they, just, co- they just, tra- uh, just copied, if you will, the truth that has been from the very beginning. The other thing I want to take just a few minutes to talk about is the fact that all doctrine of the church is rooted in the person of truth. Doctrine is not just a Christian constitution or a compilation of truths to live by. It is an expression of the character and nature of God. Doctrine, regardless of whether it seems great or small, if it is true, it will make a statement about God himself. One can trace it back to the heart of God. To truly understand Christian doctrine, we must come to know and appreciate the character and nature of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, and I will read from the J.B. Phillips translation. This is the sort of thing you should teach. And if anyone tries to teach some doctrinal novelty, which is not compatible with sound teaching, which we base on Christ's own words, and which leads to Christ-like living, then he is a conceited idiot. His mind is a morbid jumble of disputation and argument, things which lead to nothing but jealousy, quarreling, insults, and malicious innuendos, continual wrangling. 
In fact, among men of warped minds who have lost their real hold on the truth, but hope to make some profit out of the Christian religion. Boy, it sure sounds like something in the present day. If we are satisfied with just having an intellectual understanding of doctrine, we run the danger of becoming hard and defensive and erecting barriers that separate God's people. I don't hold a lot of hope that this problem will be overcome in Christendom anytime soon. But surely in this move of the Spirit, we should be striving to be one in doctrine. The verse three of the the old hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers, says, like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided, all one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. First Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, and again I will read from the J.B. Phillips translation. Be ready at any time to give a quiet and reverent answer to any man who wants a reason for the hope that you have within you. Make sure that your conscience is perfectly clear so that if men should speak slanderously of you as rogues, they may come to feel ashamed of themselves for libeling your good Christian behavior. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, study, or in in another way of saying it, be diligent to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In Jesus' prayer for his disciples and for us in John 17, It appears to be much on his heart that we be one, that there would be unity among us and with him and the Father, and that we might be one as he and the Father are one. In verse 11, he says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. And in verses 21 through 23 of that 17th chapter of John, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Doctrine is an expression of God. 
And yet it is doctrine that separates Christians today into hundreds, if not thousands, of different sects. Even in this move of the Spirit, from time to time, we experience a degree of disunity. Why is this? At our best, we set aside our differences for the sake of unity. But I think that the unity that God ultimately wants is that unity we have because we have all come to know, understand, and believe the truth. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. (laughs) He said uh, his word is truth. If we are in Christ, we can be sure that the Holy Spirit is trying to do that right now. The question is, how are we responding? We are either allowing the Holy Spirit to conform our minds to the unchanging truth, or we are trying to fit the truth to our own natural thinking. What is the result of knowing the truth? John chapter 8, verses 31 through 34. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. Now, this is, this is the Pharisees now. He, obviously, there are two groups of people there. There are the Jews that were listening and believing, and there were the Pharisees and the scribes who obviously never got the message. But he, the last verse, he spoke to the Jews who had heard him speaking, and they believed him. But now he's back, and he's speaking again to the, to the scribes and the Pharisees. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Verse 32 can be found over the entries of university buildings, courthouses, and other institutions. But I think they have, they have taken that passage and using it out of context. Certainly the context that Jesus had in mind when he spoke it. <clears throat> it's as, as uh, Paul stated in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 3 and verse 7. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Jesus said in chapter 8, verse 24, he spoke this to the Pharisees. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The bondage to sin is the greatest slavery we will ever experience. Knowing the truth will set us free. And it will set us free 
from the bondage of sin. It is more than just having our sins forgiven, as wonderful as that is, but knowing the truth through a personal relationship with the person of truth will enable us to day by day overcome the sin nature. Someone, I think it was Brian, said at the very beginning, and, and Dan Medino, uh, Medina mentioned it, uh, it er, er, uh, later in the evening, that there are many voices that we hear today. Ted Book mentioned it too. There, there's a lot of loud voices clamoring to, uh, to, to say that they have, they have truth. And they're trying to convince everybody else of what is truth. But the truth that we, as the people of God, must listen to is the voice of the shepherd. And he says to us that the sheep will hear his voice and the voice of another they will not follow. And so... <clears throat> In closing tonight, I guess that's what I want to to leave with us, uh, and, and that is is that truth is very important, but there is absolute truth. Truth truth is not something that changes over time. Truth has been truth forever, and the person who de defined truth, who said what truth is and who continues to say what truth is today is God the Father. And he speaks. He spoke to us through Jesus, his son. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he sent his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ himself, to indwell our hearts and to guide us into all truth. We won't always understand or appreciate or, or fully uh, have truth fully manifested in our hearts and lives overnight. But he said he would guide us into all truth. It's a process, hour by hour, and day by day, and year by year, here a little and there a little, he will lead us into truth. You know, there are, there are many things that we that we know today, and we know the Lord in a way that we didn't know him 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 years ago that we know today. And if God gives us another 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 years, whatever it may be in the future, we will know more of him in the future than we know of him today. But he gives us enough light and enough truth to walk in the day in which we live. And he wants us, as the word says, to to be diligent, to study, to apply ourselves, that we may be, that we may be we may accurately divide the word of truth. We don't beat people over the head with it, but we just release it uh, through the lives that we live. I, I heard a, a quote the other day. Someone said, "How do you defend a lion?" You don't defend a lion. You just turn him loose. And so that's, a, that's what God wants to do. He wants to turn loose his church in the world <laughs> that we may give evidence of, that we may bear witness of the truth. 
This is why we were saved. This is why we were brought to this hour, is to bear witness to the truth, to give evidence that the truth lives within us, and that that truth, as it is lived out, will be a revelation to the world. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for you. We thank you for the tremendous and wonderful and totally uh, magnificence, for lack of a better word, of the unity that exists between you and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We marvel at the way that each one submits himself to the other, that the purposes of the Father may come to pass. Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ had the mind that to be equal with God was nothing to be grasped after, but he made himself nothing. And being came, uh, coming in the form of a man in sinful flesh, he submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. And then after uh, ascending into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, not just to be here in the, in the air around us, but to, to indwell us, to be in our very being, to guide us and lead us step by step in the process of knowing the truth. Father, we thank you for that truth which has set us free from the bondage of sin. And we pray, Lord, that every day that we will draw closer to you and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will continue to overcome that residual sin nature that dwells within us, that one day we might be made perfect in you, mature in you, ready to take the responsibility that you have for your church, the body of Christ in the kingdom of God. Father, we just pray your blessings now upon your people, the church of God. May we fulfill or find the answer, be beneficiaries, I guess, if you will, of the prayer you prayed to the Father on our behalf, that we would become one, even as you are one. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Global Missions, Inc. podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.